jumping in our series. The series is titled Pray, Craving Something More. And I want to remind you, we're, I'm not going to ask you to write on the, the reframing uh, today, but you're still free to put down some of the things you're expecting God to do. Uh, we're going to do something different again during church. Uh, and our, my goal is that each week you go, I wonder what we're going to do today. I want you to come anticipating something. And so today I've asked, uh, well, here, the blessing is this church is filled with people who can, who can speak. Uh, I'm unnecessary in a lot of ways. And so what we're going to do today is I, um, I've asked Mark and I've asked Chris to share for a, a period of time on a very specific topic. We're continuing to talk about prayer, and, and we're going to deal with healing, fasting, and then the nudging of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so we're going we're gonna to give you quick messages to try to uh, enlarge your picture of what, what encompasses prayer. So there's no bulletin insert as far as notes. They're, they're sharing, and you can take your notes and, and do your thing with what you want to capture from what they're going to share. But multiple voices uh, attacking concepts that fit within prayer. I want to um, draw your attention to one more element that we're going to continue to add to church. And if you, did anybody notice these cork boards up here? Anyone see them? Jinx took the time this morning to put the cork boards up, and they look great, and we're going to do something with them. Up here, and, you, and I'm giving you permission to do this while Mark and Chris are speaking. Um, these are called, these are, these are 3x5 cards. They're not called something special just because I called them something special. But, but I'm going to, I want you to put names on them. So there's ways in which we can pray for people. Uh, one of the ways in which I grew up praying is for my friends who didn't know Jesus, and, and, and putting the name of somebody on here, you don't have to put last name, but you can put the first name, uh, and putting in the, coming up here and, and pinning it to this board will give a visual picture of people that we're thinking about that need to encounter the living Christ. And as more people put their names up there, the more we're thinking about who does God need to run himself into. And our church family can continue to pray for those specific people. So I have my own names that I'm going to put up here that need, to, that need to know Jesus. People in my family that need to know Jesus. Instead of me praying by myself in my own little closet, I'm asking you and inviting you to pray for these people too. And so this is one way that you can, you can pray. So I want you to feel free whenever a name pops into your head to come write it down. And we're going to use this this, these three boards over here for salvation. We want people to know Jesus. Well, on this side, we have three more boards. We're praying for people to be healed. There's somebody in your life that needs healing. Put their name on a postcard. Bring it up here and write it. You don't need to write the infirmity. You don't need to write the sin that, that they're struggling with. You don't need to write any of that stuff. Just put their name. And we'll begin to pray, and the Lord will give us the words. Okay, so that's, you can do that anytime. So we're adding uh, interactive stuff to happen during church so you're not just sitting, listening, and nodding off. Did I catch anybody sleeping? You're not, <laughs> you're not just sitting, but you're in, interacting, and it's okay to interact with what's happening, all right? So I'm going to invite Mark up. Mark's going to be sharing on, on healing. And yikes. Jason said I have 12 minutes. 
He said 10. I heard 17. Um, it's funny because he said, hey, do you want to pray on healing? And I said, hey, or talk about healing. And I said, hey, that'd be really interesting because apparently I'm really good at it because I have been praying for 21 years for my wife to be healed. And so it gives me a little bit of a bizarre, I don't know. To me, it's kind of weird view on what healing is and how you pray for it and what it looks like. So I'm going to use a little bit of my own story. I'm going to use just a couple things that I heard over my lifetime. But I'm going to share two passages first. Um, And one of these passages, who here in this congregation, in this room right now, has sometime in the last week interacted with James chapter 5? Anybody? Show of hands. James chapter 5, I know our small group talked about it, the other small group talked about it, Sunday school talked about it, pastor blogged about it. Um, There's been a lot of discussion about James chapter 5 this week. So I just want to read a couple of verses from James chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Another passage I want to read real quick, and it's fairly um, familiar with a lot of people. Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if a son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children... How much, will, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Let's pray. Father God, as we look for just a couple minutes um, as your body, and as we talk about healing, and we just talk about other things that you have given us, other gifts you have given us through prayer, Lord God, I ask that you would open our eyes, open our minds to the things you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, initially, when we first talked about this, you know, Jason's like, okay, try and be really really practical and try and, you know, give some things that people can do and can grab a hold of and that kind of stuff. So um, there's a couple things that I wanted to share. Um, the first one to remember when we're talking about praying for healing, and it's confusing because you have to look at both sides, is praying for someone for healing and then also receiving prayer for healing. And they're kind of the same thing, and they're kind of two different things. But the first one is that we are called to do it. I just read in James, and um, I read in Matthew that if I'm hurting, if I'm ill, I'm supposed to ask for people to pray. Or if someone asks me, hey, I'm ill or I'm hurting, will you pray for me? We as people are called to do it, and we are called to pray with confidence. As I just read in Matthew 7, ask and it will be given to you. So the second thing is be specific. 
So if I'm praying for um, someone for healing, I want to know what I'm praying for. If you're asking for prayer, if I'm asking for prayer, I need to be specific. This isn't what I'm suffering from. This is what I'm dealing with. Um, This gets to be tricky because I'm a fairly private person, and I don't necessarily want to share all my deep, dark secrets and all my gunk, I guess is the word. I don't know if it's in the Bible, but the word is gunk. Um, But I know that I appreciate when I'm praying for someone, if someone can say, hey, I have this going on, instead of someone coming up and saying, I have a thing that's unspecified that I don't want to share. It's just easier to pray. So I guess my exhortation to you today is, if you are praying, ask and be specific. Because then as you're praying for someone, it's so much nicer to be able to specifically pray for that specific thing um, and not be modest about it and that kind of stuff. What it comes down to is, for me, is, and uh, this word, I'm, you're all going to, uh, anyway, expectations. You know, it's hard for me to expect that God is going to do a certain thing if I haven't even really prayed for that certain thing to happen. Uh, I, I just have found, specifically when praying for healing, that it's nice to kind of know what, what I'm praying for. The third thing to remember, and just because I'm at the third thing doesn't mean I'm almost done, just as a warning. Um, I had shared a quote almost a year ago, I think, um, by a guy named William, William Barclay, and he says, when we pray, remember the love of God that wants the best for us, the wisdom of God that knows what's best for us, and the power of God that can accomplishment, accomplish it. So, in my mind, and what I've been struggling with this week, is that praying for healing should be just like praying for anything else. I mean, we don't really, we talked about this in Sunday school this morning, we shouldn't really rank prayers. It's like, um, okay, God, here's my list of things I'm praying for. These are the most important, and then everything else kind of falls after that. But for some reason, praying for healing for someone just seems to have a little more emotional weight to it. It just, for some reason, seems to sit differently in my spirit when I do it. And um, my emotions get wrapped up in it. And I just, you know, it's just a weird thing. And I think that just because it's so personal, uh, it's just harder. Or not harder. I don't know. I struggle with this. And here's the struggle. I'll just get right to the struggle. You know, when I pray for someone for healing, and that healing doesn't happen that day, then I start to think, oh, maybe I didn't do it right. Maybe, you know, I didn't say the right words. And I'll tell you, I Googled praying for healing. And about the first 37 entries on Google that came up were, Specific prayers to say when you're praying for healing. And some of them were scriptural prayers. 
Some of them were just prayers that some guy named Steve, or I don't know his name, had written on the correct way to pray for healing. And I struggle with that because it's not, it's not about what I say or how I say it, but it really, the, the tension comes in, am I going to get what I want? And 21 years ago, almost 22 years ago, are we on almost 22? Almost 22 years ago when my wife was diagnosed with cancer, man, we struggled with this. And we prayed and we prayed and everyone we knew was praying and our families were praying and people we didn't know were praying. This was like at the beginning of the internet, kind of. So there were like international prayer chains that we heard about. I mean, the whole thing was so bizarre to us at the time. But someone told my wife and me, if you just have enough faith, you will be healed. And I went, ooh, because in my soul, it just makes me ill. Because what it does is it takes the power away from God and puts the power firmly in my hands that I need to have enough faith and it will happen. So... Um, the lady who told me this, um, it was in a Sunday school class at a church in uh, Green River, and I won't say any names because someone here may know them, but um, <clears throat> I told her this. I said, you know what? We've come to the decision that we are praying because God has told us to pray. But the reality is that... Um, God may choose to heal my wife by allowing her to die and taking her to heaven. And you would have thought that I had just said, lightning is going to strike your firstborn next Thursday, because this woman was appalled that I would say that. And while I understand there are some theologically hinky things about that statement, the reality is, is that when I pray for healing, as I have prayed for healing, and as we have all prayed for healing, and I mean, let's be honest, a lot of us have prayed for someone to be healed, and they were not healed, and it's a bit of a blow. You know, everyone kind of thinks, oh man, I didn't do it right, oh, I should have done this. The, the tension that I feel is when I'm praying in faith, as James calls me to do, and then I'm questioning my faith because it didn't happen the way I wanted it to, it's a little thing that it speaks to my soul of, what are you going to do with this? And in my own mind, I really have just come to the realization, and, and Jason has been saying this for a couple of weeks, um, I write quotes in the back of my Bible sometimes if something strikes me, and uh, Jason said uh, just last week, expectations and prayer have everything to do with alignment and nothing to do with outcome. And what he's saying by that is that I'm not praying because I want a specific answer. I am aligning my life with what God wants, and I'm accepting the answer that I get. I was reading a blog this week. It was kind of crazy because whenever I'm going to be preaching, I 
just like to read other things and see what people are saying and that kind of stuff. And I read through this whole thing and said, oh my gosh, this is so good. I love this. Oh, I love this point. And I'm like highlighting it and I'm saving it and I'm bookmarking it on my browser. And I get to the end and the guy who wrote it, I know him. He, he, his son was our um, worship pastor at the church we went to in Cheyenne and I've met him. And I'm like, I have moved on in my life. I now know someone who's published on the internet. It's an amazing thing. So anyway, his, his name is Greg Strand, and he's kind of a big wig with the Evangelical Free Church. But he said this, I promise everybody in Sunday school that had a great, great quote. So all of you who are waiting, here it is. <clears throat> a prayer of faith does not mean God will necessarily give us what we want. Rather, we pray that we will want what he gives, which graciously comes from our loving Father. And to me, that's such an important point, is that I'm not praying that I'm going to get what I'm want. I'm going to want, but I'm wanting what he's going to give. And if I trust in a good father and a loving father and a sovereign father, and I'm aligned with his perfect will, then I will be happy with that outcome. I have to address a thing, though, before I move on. And um, we had this discussion at our small group on Wednesday night, where what we discuss is the sermon from the week before. And I have heard this phrase, I bet not exaggerating a thousand times in my life. And it specifically happens... Sorry, I have a little bit of a cold, speaking of healing. It seems this happen a lot when you are praying for healing. And that's when you go through and you say all this prayer and you've done everything and you're specific and you have highlighted it and you've quoted scripture and the whole thing and you get to the end and you say, so God, if it's your will, let all this stuff happen. And it irritates me for some reason and it goes back to, you know how sometimes you hear a sermon and it sticks with you? When I was a freshman in college, I went home to the Lutheran church that I grew up in. And the pastor, who uh, oddly enough ended up moving from Colorado Springs to Casper, and he was a pastor here for a long time. But anyway, he said, I'm going to preach on healing. And at this point, you know, I'm going to kind of like... A, not really like a charismatic church, but a little step above what the Lutheran church is, I guess I'll say. And so I'm like, oh, I want to hear what my Lutheran pastor is going to say about healing. But he made a statement in that sermon that has stuck with me for my entire life, and that was a long time ago. <clears throat> it is never God's will that his children suffer. It is never God's will. So when I'm praying, well, God, if it's your will that they stop their suffering, I'm not speaking truth. Because never, ever will God want his people to suffer. But back to the issue of alignment. If I'm aligned with God, I'm going to know what his will is. And if I'm going to pray, but, you know, if it's your will, essentially what I'm doing is I'm weakening my prayer, especially if I think 
I don't think anything's going to happen. So I'm going to give myself an out. And I'm going to say, well, I'm praying this, and I'm praying this fervently. But ultimately, I'm going to give myself an out in case it doesn't happen. And then I can say, well, apparently God wanted you to not be healed. So um, I guess to wrap it up, a little bit in my life, <clears throat> when praying for healing, when asking for prayer for healing, what, what Beth and I have found to be so true is to understand that God is God. And we, you may be praying for healing in the long term. And like I said, 20, almost 22 years. And probably 22 years because we were praying for stuff that was going on before she knew she had cancer. So, um, But finding that point where coming to an understanding that I'm going to just trust that God has something better. And I may be, I may be suffering, I may be suffering daily because of this, but in the end... You know, God has a purpose, God has a plan, and I don't mean that from like the platitude point of view, like, oh, I read it on a plaque, God has a plan, you know, when God opens a door, whatever. The reality is, is that sometimes um, I just have to trust that God is a good God, and no matter what, he's still a good God, and um, and I'm just going to live and accept the healing in that way. So that is what I have to say about prayer for healing. And now I'm going to call Chris Bird. Come on down. You're the next contestant. I'm a contestant. I think I drew the short stick today. Um, well, I mean, today is one of those days where everyone's kind of like going out for a special breakfast, or then after church going to go out for a nice lunch. And I'm going to go up here and make a case for not eating. And I'm like, all right, I got an uphill battle. Um, I, I know you can. There, there are different things in, in that you can fast. Uh, some people like to fast TV shows. Uh, I think when we were in youth groups and people tried fasting homework, um, the teachers weren't as spiritual as we were, though. So I don't know. It didn't work out as well. But in scripture, when you read about specific times of fasting, I think it's usually talking about food. So today, I'm just going to focus on that kind of fasting: fasting from food. Um, and like Mark, I want to kind of draw on my own experiences here. I grew up Pentecostal, which if you don't know, is kind of like a quasi-charismatic. We dabble in it. Um, I think Jason talked earlier today in Sunday school about charismatic up about your knees. You could get out of it when you needed to, but jump into it when you needed to or not. So that's kind of where I came from. So fasting was a part of prayer. It was taught with prayer. But here's, here's how it was taught to me, and perhaps you're familiar with this. When you fast, one reason for fasting was to, like, make your prayers more powerful, right? Like, if you want something, you pray. If you really want something, you add fasting with it, right? Or, or if you want something, you pray, and it's not happening. Well, add fasting, because then that'll convince God, maybe, to do it for you, right? Are you guys familiar with that at all? Like, like fasting's almost, I'm not going to say it is, but kind of gets borderline manipulation, Right? Well, God, you're not doing what I want now, so let me try to force your hand a little bit with adding the fact that I'm not going to eat until you do this. Okay, the other, the other way fasting was taught was it can kind of make you more sensitive to the Spirit. 
right? So if I, if, I, if I don't eat and I weaken my body, suddenly my spirit has more of a, I don't know, spiritual spidey sense or whatever. I can just hear God's spirit better. I can, I'm more sensitive to it. Now, I'm not going to say either of those reasons are right or wrong. There may or may not be biblical evidence for it. That's another conversation. But I'll tell you this, that growing up employing fasting in this way only led to failure. I would, I would pray, I would fast, and my results I wanted wouldn't happen. And then I would end up stopping my fast early, and I would just feel like a failure. So I kind of put off fasting for quite a while because who needs it? It doesn't work. <laughs> and it's a horrible, horrible experience sometimes. So I put it off for a while, and then I came across a teaching a few years back, probably five or six now, a new teaching on fasting I hadn't heard, a new perspective, and honestly, this isn't going to be anything different than what you guys have been hearing about prayer already. Um, it's not because I stole it from Jason or Mark, or it's, I think it's because we have the same source material. But I'm going to go to uh, Matthew chapter 9, and I want to share with you this teaching I heard because I employ this. I use this in my fasting, and I will tell you honestly that I experienced results with fasting like I never had before. Honest results. So Matthew chapter 9, it begins in verse 14. It's an ironic passage, actually, because here I am trying to uh, talk to you about fasting. This is Jesus' teaching on fasting, but it's during a time when he's talking about his disciples not fasting. And so it's funny to me that this is one of the most profound teachings on fasting is when he's trying to explain why his disciples aren't. So Matthew chapter 9, starting with verse 14, then the disciples of John came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and the worst tears made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. So I'm going to start with the end of that passage with those two parables, the wineskins and the the old cloth on the new garment, or is it new cloth on the old garment? Because um, those really kind of confused me for a long time. Like, what, what's he saying there? And what does that have to do with fasting? But I think what's going on here is Jesus is talking about appropriateness. It's not appropriate to put, you know, new wine into old wine skids because it doesn't work. They burst. They break. Isn't it kind of funny why did these men asking Jesus about fasting? Probably John's disciples are going through a time where fasting is common, and they're looking around saying, we're fasting, the disciples are fasting. Wait a minute. Jesus' disciples aren't fasting over here. What, what's going on here? And they ask him. So I find it funny that Jesus is trying to explain to them about not fasting, and these guys are probably in the middle of fasting, probably craving food, craving drink, and here he gives a parable about alcohol. <laughs> He's like, let's just start there. So he, he gives this parable, and I, and I think what he's saying is it's not appropriate. It's not appropriate to do this. It's not appropriate to do it this way. It's about appropriateness. So let's back up now in the, in the verse here, and he's talking about a bridegroom and a wedding. See, when there's a wedding, especially during this time, there's a big feast. Weddings were a big deal, and they'd make this big feast, but they wouldn't start eating until the bridegroom came because... He was the one that started the feast. 
You know, you ever, you ever sit down for a meal and your mom is like spent all this time cooking up 50 pancakes for everybody and she's making and making, people are eating and she's making and making and just about the time she sits down to eat, everyone's done and they all get up and leave. There's an appropriateness here. It's like you don't start eating until the bridegroom comes. That's the way to do it. We, we fast until he's there, but when he's there, the party starts. Let's go. And I think Jesus is saying, when it, he's talking about the appropriate time and the appropriate way to fast. I'm here, he says. My disciples have me. There's no reason to fast because here I am. It's not appropriate to fast right now. It doesn't work that way. But when I leave, that's the time to fast, when I'm taken away. So how does that apply to us now? You know those times where you got to walk into a situation or you're dealing with a struggle and you're just not feeling the presence of Christ? You're just, you're just not there. You're not feeling his power. You're not feeling his security. You're not feeling his peace. Whatever it is, you're just, you're just not meeting him in that. Fasting is our physical way of saying, Christ, I need you here and now. I am waiting on you to show up. Fasting is our physical craving for the presence of Jesus. You know, we can pray and we believe with our mind, Jesus, I need you. And we believe with our heart, Jesus, I need you. And we speak with our words, Jesus, I need you. Fasting is the physical expression of Jesus, I need you. In fact, your presence right here is so much more important than my very life. I'm going to stop doing the thing that sustains me because I crave you more than I crave my own presence in this. Think about that. Think about a friend, a parent, a relative saying, hey, I got to go on a trip and I got to do this very, very difficult thing and I really want you to come with me. And you're like, well, I'll see if I can fit into my schedule, but it's going to be hard, I don't know. But what if they said this, I'm going on a trip I got a very, very hard thing. And listen, I want you with me so bad, I'm not even going to eat until you agree to come with me. This is the expression we're giving to Jesus to say, I need you here. I'm not just saying it. I'm not just thinking it. I'm not just believing it. I'm physically going to do something to show I crave your presence. I crave your presence. There may or may not be some supernatural things that happen when we fast. I'm not going to say there is or isn't. But I will say that the act of fasting is a very natural physical thing. And it's simply a natural physical expression of saying, I need you, Jesus. I want you here in this situation right now. And your presence is more important than even my life right now. That says something, don't you think? I mean, that speaks something. So I'm going to sum this up with two things. One, why do, we pray? Why do we fast? Because we crave the presence of Jesus. Nothing you haven't heard already. How do we fast? Again, same thing, because we expect Jesus to show up. We expect him to be there. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that we expect him to do exactly what we want? No, that's not how healthy relationships work. Healthy relationships work like this. I want you with me. I'm going to express my desire for you to be with me in this way. And then when Jesus shows up, we see what happens. Now, I told you that I've experienced more powerful results in these times of fasting than I have in other ways, but they were unexpected results. They're not necessarily what I thought was going to happen. But I can say that Jesus showed up in a way 
I just knew he was there. It was like, it's over. It's done. The fast is complete. My, I, I've accomplished what I set out to do, and that is Jesus. I've expressed to you how much I desire to be with me. And you know what? He says, I desire to be with you too, and, and your expression of that just drew us closer together. I think fasting, if you have not employed it in your prayers, is a very, very powerful tool. And I say tool carefully. It's not a manipulative thing. It's not something we do to force God's hand. It is an expression. Just like we pray with our mouths, our words are an expression of our desire for God. Fasting is our expression. Of, some of you are physical. Some of you guys, you just need to do something. It's not, you know, praying or saying something is enough, but you need to do something. Well, fasting is us doing something, saying, Jesus, we need you. So we, we fast because we crave, and we fast because we expect Jesus to show up. We expect him to show up. Fasting is a physical expression of our need for Jesus. Who's got to go eat? We're going to close in worship. Hey, this um, next week, next week we're going to look at the Holy Spirit nudge. What, when God is speaking to me and he's giving that little kick, what am I supposed to do with it? What am I supposed to do with it? Sometimes it's momentum and sometimes it's uh, following. Uh, I'll give you a, a, a real-life example. I know which, which name was put up here first. I watched it go up. But as soon as one person followed because they were nudged, the crowd started to move together. And people felt the freedom, the freedom to come forward. Right? And it's easy to preach in this, right? So what we're, when the Spirit of God nudges us, what I'm looking for, for from the congregation is freedom. Freedom to step, freedom to act, freedom to move forward. Some of these things that we're talking about today uh, with fasting and he- prayer for healing, these are, these are things that we have to discipline ourselves in doing. So we, have to, we have to step into a place that's, that's not necessarily always comfortable and begin to practice. So I appreciate everybody that's coming forward. You can still interact with this. We're going to sing a closing song, and then I'll come pray.